Thank you for joining us for episode 426 of Live Happy Now. I'm your host, Paula Phelps, and this week we're introducing a new occasional series called Happy Activists, where I sit down with someone who is doing amazing things to make our world a little bit happier. Our very first happy activist is Dawn McMullen, a freelance writer and editor whose life changed when she met a woman who had fled the Democratic Republic of Congo. As she learned more about the plight of girls and young women in the Congo, Dawn was compelled to act, and as you're about to learn, she has become part of a nonprofit organization called Congo Restoration that has already changed hundreds of families and continues to grow. Let's listen as Dawn tells us how giving back to others has given her a greater sense of purpose. Well, Dawn, thank you for joining me as our first Happy Activist episode on Live Happy Now. Thank you for having me. I'm honored to be here. Very, very excited. I just had to get you on the show because I've known you for a very long time, full disclosure, and I've watched as you become really passionate about helping others. And, you know, as long as I've known you, you have always made it a point to give back. I've seen you take your entire family to Mexico and work on homes. You've collected donations for refugees who are starting over in the U.S. It seems to me like you are always doing good for others. And I wanted to know, first of all, where did that come from and how did that start? So I'll correct you that when we met in our 20s, I was probably not doing that. <laughs> but <laughs> because We had other stuff going on in our 20s. Yes, exactly. But how it started was that I had kids and I think there's a shift in a lot of parents when they have kids and how you're engaging with the world and your child looking at you engaging with the world. So that really is how it started. We go to a church and that unfortunately or fortunately is a way a lot of people connect with doing good in the world. And I say unfortunately because I have a lot of friends who don't go to church and they have a difficult time finding ways to involve their kids and do good in the world. So that's how it started with us. And we started going to church because our kids started asking questions. And then here we are with this little liberal church in Dallas doing a lot of good in the world. And one of those ways was to go to Juarez and build houses. And that's a fun thing to take little boys to do. And so it kind of started as a way I wanted to parent and teach my kids about the world. And then as with a lot of things, then it became much more than that for me. And I think it's important to note that now your little boys are young men and they're still doing that. They just went back to Mexico with your husband, their dad, and did it again. I was really surprised to see that, gosh, after all these years, they're still doing that because, you know, you don't think of, well, think of us in our 20s. We were not going to Mexico and helping others, but they do. It's still important to them. I love that that instilled a sense of helping others in them. Yeah, they were five and eight the first time we took them and they're 26 and 23 now. And they, yeah, they kind of take turns going with their dad. Sometimes they all go together, but once a year, there's some combination of our family. Now I've opted out of that because I've decided at 55, I don't want to do manual labor as much anymore. <laughs> but luckily I gave birth to these people who do. So I feel like I've checked that box. That's terrific. So you do other things though. And that leads us to the Congo Restoration Project. Tell us, first of all, what that is, how this all started. So Congo Restoration is a project out of the Democratic Republic of Congo. A dear friend of mine, Garedi Nabushosi, is Congolese, and she is from 
the eastern part of Congo, which borders Rwanda. Now, most people don't know much about the Democratic Republic of Congo. Most people are familiar with Rwanda, where the genocide happened in the mid-90s. There was a lot of publicity about that. There was a movie about that. It got all the guilt, money, and good deeds done because it's a very famous thing. So a million people died in the genocide, and I was just there. Actually, one week ago today, I was at the Genocide Museum, so it's all very fresh to me. Wow. Six million people died in Congo right across the border from partially the genocide kind of expanding into that area. The people who did the killing escaped to that area. That wreaked some havoc. A lot of the turmoil there has been because... There's a mineral in the Democratic Republic of Congo called Colton. 70% of the Colton in the world comes from this area. It is required in every single phone, every single laptop, every single iPad. This is required to run them. So you would think that it would be just a super rich country, right? Because they have the minerals that we all need. But that's not the case because it's a you know corrupt, generally been corrupt government. So a few people at the top get rich and it's one of the poorest countries in the entire world. So my friend is from there. And And did she come to the U.S.? And that's you met her here in the States? Yes. Yeah. She was a refugee who came shortly after the genocide, actually, when there was a lot of unrest because of that. She's an attorney by trade and she was trying to fight for women's rights. And that is so not a thing in the Democratic Republic of Congo. In fact, it's still not a thing, but it was even worse, you know, this time. So she was in danger. So she came here. She has six kids. They were aged three to 11 at the time. The way the asylee status works in the States, you come by yourself and then you try to get status for the rest of your family. So she fled here, literally made smoothies at Whole Foods because your education doesn't really count once you get here. Right. And got asylum status. And then the rest of her family joined her. This is in Dallas, where I live. And she raised her family here. Then she went back at some point about 10 years later, right before I met her. She went to a hospital that was treating women for injuries of rape. Because at one point, Congo was the rape capital of the world. It was used as a weapon of war. It's still not uncommon there, but at least they don't think they have that title anymore. But at the time they did. So she went because women's rights were really her passion at that point. So she went to this hospital and all the women were just saying, I don't know where my kids are. Like they've been, you know, war, war's chaotic. They've been pulled away from their family. So she went to this village and found the kids, found basically a lot of orphans and took them in, took 30 kids in, called her husband and said, I need $1,000 to figure out what to do with these kids. I can't leave them. Okay, so that's how Congo Restoration began. That's our origin story. And I met her shortly after that. She came home and just made a random call, like looked up United Methodist Church on the internet and called the main office in New York. My church is Methodist. I'd happened to connect. I had connected with somebody there recently. That's how we got connected. It's kind of a super random that's thing. That's amazing. Like that, yeah. kind of like that meant to be. Yes. And They're like, I don't know what to do with you, but Dawn's in Dallas, call her. <laughs> and so what was it that made you connect with it? Because there's there's so much need. We are constantly hearing tragic stories. It's like everywhere we turn, somebody needs help. There's a nonprofit that needs our money. What was it that made you say, yeah, I'm going to invest not just my money, but my life and my time into this? I had been to Rwanda the year before on a trip with uh, also connected to my church. And we had 
just seeing how the systems work and don't work in that same region. This is all the same region. In Rwanda, because of the genocide, there were tons of orphans that were heads of household. And this nonprofit was trying to help those oldest kids of these families really start a community because a lot of the adults were just gone. So you had to create a new system, basically. So I'd gone on this trip and just really seeing things I didn't know existed. Like I, you know, like you mentioned, I'd been to Mexico, I'd been to El Salvador, I'd seen poverty, I'd seen deep poverty, but I hadn't seen the kind of lack of infrastructure where there's no way you're going to have running water in your Mm -hmm. life, probably where, you know, just basic human needs were just unreachable. And I, I hadn't seen anything like that in my life. And I don't know. It just it just seems so ridiculous in whatever year this was that I went, 2008. It's, it's also ridiculous in 2023. I just came back yeah. and saw the same thing. So there was something about, and you never know what's going to reach you. You just never know. If mm-hmm. you get out there and say yes to interesting opportunities in life, you may, like, I never, if you'd asked me 15 years ago, hey, do you think you're going to be passionate about Eastern Africa? I'd be like, I don't know, never been. <laughs> don't um, they have gorillas there? Don't they have gorillas there? Which is a, which is a nice little bonus to my work. <laughs> so yeah, I can't quite explain it, except the I didn't know that kind of situation really existed in the world on that level of being in the middle of it. And then there was just something about the people there and the region that just really touched my heart. And again, that's different for everybody. And that's what mine was. And so when Garetti came into my life six months later, I was already somewhat familiar with the situation and just had this great, inexplicable passion for it. From there, from that beginning, we started what Congo Restoration is now, which I'm happy to tell you about whenever you're ready to hear about. Yeah. So what is it? What exactly does it do? So our basic mission is to empower women and girls through education. Garetti was also an orphan. Her parents died really young and her siblings made sure she finished school. And not only did she finish school, she's an attorney. She was a, as I mentioned here, she was an asylee here working at Whole Foods. Her husband was a pharmacist, but also that did not translate here. So they went from, you know, high, you know, comfortable life comfortable life there to, you know, minimum wage here. They had six kids. All of them went to college. Like education was very core to everything she believed. And of course I agree with her. There's so many problems when you go into a place like Congo, it just seems like, how can I make a difference here? It's just nothing works. It just seems like nothing works. So if you come at that in a smaller way, which is how it's always good to come at a problem, it's like, well, what can we do? We can lift up women through education. So that's where we focus. After the orphans, which we took in, she took in the 30. The next project was a sewing school for women who, girls there often don't finish school because it's not mandatory and it's not free. So if you're going to spend $15 a month or $5 a month on uniforms and tuition for public school, you're going to send your boys. That's just the culture there. So Mm Girls and women are meant to work in the field. So if you put them in school, you're also cutting down on the fact that they're gathering food for the family that you're going to eat that night. So these are very different priorities that they have to have and they do have as far as eating and food and food security and girls and boys. So there were a lot of young women who didn't finish primary school and they a lot of them back then had been raped in the conflict. That was another overlaying factor. And they are just the bottom rung of society. 
those couple of things. So we started a sewing school. They learn a skill. They study for six to eight months. When they graduate, we give them a sewing machine and a sewing kit full of things they need for their sewing business. And they start a business. And we've had more than 800 women graduate and all but two of them have done exactly that. The other two moved off. That is (laughs) amazing. So how many years have you had the school up? Since 2010. And And you had how many women? I think it's actually 850 from the graduation I just went that to. That is about absolutely ago. incredible that you've impacted directly that many lives. And not only does that give them a way to make money that they didn't have before, but it also raises them up in society. Like they're no longer the lowest ranks of society. They are respected women because they have a business. They send their kids to school because they can make money. They're in charge of their financial destiny. And that is not a thing in the Democratic Republic of Congo that a woman would be in charge of that. And statistically speaking, no offense to men, if you invest in women, if you give women an opportunity to make money, they will invest it in their families and in their community at a much higher rate than men will. Again, no offense. (laughs) So are you starting to see that next generation yet that's being affected by it from the early graduates? Yes, we have. I mean, they're still running their businesses. They are hiring. I went to a shop just a couple of weeks ago when I was there. One of our graduates, she graduated about three or four years ago, and she has a shop and she's hiring three other people in her shop. So she's not only running her own business, she's actually employing people and her kids go to school because she's in charge of that money. And she makes that decision that they're going to go to school. And there's just, I mean, when you throw education at people. There's nothing that's going to, it's going to do, but lift them up. Just fight me on that. There's just nothing. It can only lift them up. I don't have the statistics right in front of me, but that's just the case. And we're seeing that. And then how does it change the community that this is in where they see these, these young girls, these women creating a different life? How does it change the way that they view their own roles in society and what they can accomplish? It's interesting because when we first started in 2010, a couple of things happened. One, Goretti had to go. We have 40 women at a time. She had to go to almost all the homes of these young women and convince the parents to send them. Because again, what are you doing? You're taking them out of the fields. Right. She had to convince them that this is a long-term thing. We have gone through phases where we would give out soap or salt or something that was valuable so that their families wouldn't think they were wasting their time. There is no way to control how many kids you have in Congo, really. So a lot of these young women would have kids. We'd have to convince the parents it's worth your time to watch their toddler while they're in school. Long term, Let's think long term. Mm-hmm. Um, so you used to have to do that. Now there are hundreds of women who line up when it's time, when we're about to graduate a class, who line up wanting to be in that next class. So one, that's changed. Two, in the beginning she would have a lot of pushback from the leaders in the community who were all men saying, why are you wasting your time with these women? Why are you investing in women? And they didn't want to come to graduations. They didn't want to be, they just thought they didn't like what Goretti was doing. Mm -hmm. Now they come to our graduations. Now there is still some pushback of why we mainly help women and girls. And I'll get into, because we have another project that's with girls in a minute, but generally their families come, they're so excited. Their families cry when they get their diploma. So it's just, it's a shift in how the community sees these women. And you can also see the shift in the women. I always meet 
when I go to a graduation, which is every few years, we'll have the graduation celebration. And then usually the next 40 women will be there at the end and I'll meet them. They just have a look about them. They don't see their own value. You can see it in their eyes. You can just see it. And then you look at our graduates and you can see them around town and they are just they definitely see their value. And and we teach them a lot of things in that six months. Sewing is one of them, but there's also, there are other things we teach them about how valuable they are. And you can visibly see that in their eyes. The other project we have, because Garetti saw like, this was making a huge difference, but it's not going deep enough because these are, again, women who have had just a primary education. They've not had secondary education. They need to know how to read and write so they can take orders from customers, but that's really all. So she wanted to go deeper. So we started an all-girls primary school in fall of 2019. Not amazing timing when a pandemic <laughs> right around the corner. But who knew? Who knew? We did not. We did not. So we have, as I mentioned, school is not free or mandatory. So often girls don't get to go to school. So we started a primary school. As of September, we will have grades one through six, 160 girls. And that, again, was a bit of a battle. Goretti had to really talk it up. Like, well, first of all, we made it free. So people were somewhat interested in that. They didn't have to pay for anything. Our sewing school makes the uniforms. Uniforms are mandatory oh, nice. throughout Congo. So that's another obstacle. If you want to send your kids to school, you have to buy uniforms. So we don't have to worry about that. Our sewing school makes those. And then we decided to feed them breakfast and lunch, which is highly unusual. And parents really like that. These are kids who are eating one, probably not super healthy meal a day at home. So to feed them two at school, mm-hmm. that one is just good for their brains. And two was a reason that parents were willing to send him. And again, now that school is very popular and people are always asking us why they can't send their boys. Somebody else needs to come in. I'm going to do a shout out. Somebody else needs to come in and educate boys in that area because girls are. <laughs> but yeah, it's just it lifts the whole village up because there's something exciting coming there. The first graduation, I first sewing school graduation I went to in 2015, two UN white Jeep, like land cruisers, right? Land Rovers, whatever they're called, pulled up kind of dramatically outside the school. We were having this big festival, this big like celebration. And these guys get out and I'm still connected to one of them actually on social media. This guy from Pakistan says, what's going on here? Very like, somewhat aggressive. And I said, oh, and I explained what was going on. And I said, did you have questions? He goes, no, I've been here for two years and I've never seen joy. So I just had to stop and see. Oh my gosh. And he stayed for the whole thing because he's just like, I've never seen anything like this in this community. So I think what our schools do in this village, even if you're not directly involved, like you're not a student or your kid's not a student or your daughter's not a student is it offers hope. It offers hope, which is something hard to come by in this area of the world. And it's so essential. That is just absolutely amazing. Tell me, like we can see what it's doing for the women and the girls that you're working with. What has it done for you and how has it changed your worldview and how how you welcome others into your life? I think it's just, it's changed so much. It is, it's hard to not be changed by visiting that part of the world. Now, I was involved in, you know, I went to Rwanda and then I was involved with Congo Restoration for six or seven years before I actually went. You should not look up the State Department's warning about whether you should go to Congo. So there was a little bit of a pause of me um, actually getting to, you know, convincing my family that was a good idea. It's perfect. <laughs> I've never had a problem. Mommy will come back. It's fine. Yeah, mommy will go. my husband's always joking us to get down to his dating weight before I, before I leave. <laughs> 
but I've never had any problems there. Certain parts of Congo I wouldn't go to. This part of Congo has been fine. So to live in our world where just literally things work, let, let's set aside the poverty for a minute, but just things work. We have roads, we have water that comes out of a faucet, we have Wi-Fi that works, we have electricity that works. To leave that world for an extended period of time and to realize that most of the world lives more like that than we live. I mean, Congo is an extreme example, but honestly, more people in the world live closer to that than live as mm-hmm. we live. So to be in that world and to be in that world enough where you have friends and people you know who live in that all the time, just you can't help but come back to our world and we'll just one, just be more thankful for it and not take it for granted as much as you can, although that's hard because this is our reality. You know, I think it makes you much more, you know, it's hard to really complain I mean, we can complain, but it's hard to complain a lot when we have the lives that we have. Certainly things go wrong in our life. They do. But on a daily basis, we have food that we have a bed to sleep on, not a floor to sleep on. Women have rights more less than we did, but we women have rights here. <laughs> women are valued here. Not, it's not perfect. None of it's perfect. But being a woman in Congo looks like the hardest thing I've ever seen. They will carry things on their back that with a baby on their front that look just impossible. They are like a cow has more value, I think, literally than a woman does in Congo. So to see that makes me feel like I have such a responsibility as a woman to one, lift others up because of the privilege that I have from being just just from being born here. I we have. You know, I was just born here and they were just born there. Nothing else happened. That's it. And to pass that on to my sons specifically, if I had daughters, I'd probably have a different take on it. That knowledge. Yeah, it just it can't help but change you to see how differently other people live. I have met so many interesting people that I would never know there and in other ways because I'm connected to this. So when you say yes to something that really jazzes you and to whatever your ability is to go all in. Now, I'm very lucky that I, I'm a freelance writer and editor, so I can travel this way. And my work is more flexible than a lot of people's work. And right now I'm an empty nester generally, so I have a lot more freedom in that way. But to say yes to the things that really light you up like that, I think just adds so much to your life. Like I can't even imagine my life without Congo Restoration. Yeah. And everyone connects with something a little bit different and finds that that thing that lights them up and it's going to be different than what yours is or the next person's. So what's your advice for anyone who's looking for that thing? Because sometimes we go through life and we're like, man, I just I want to feel like I'm giving back. I want to feel like I'm making a difference and kind of scattershot about it. How do you do that? One thing is look for how you feel like. I don't know something in your life that when you for me, it's like when I go out with my girlfriends. When I leave that kind of energy, I, like I'm driving home and I just feel like I've had too much caffeine. That's what it feels like. <laughs> like oh, I'm just a little buzz and like I can't quite, you know, just go right to bed when I get home. So there's something about that energy. That's one thing I can compare it to. When I'm at a Congress, when I am leading a Congress restoration meeting or meeting with Garetti about it, I have that same kind of buzz like afterward. Like so, so when you're in situations 
I think look for that kind of, it may not feel, maybe I'm just weird with this whole caffeine buzz thing, but that's what it feels like to me. Maybe it's just an actual caffeine buzz, Dawn. It might be, but I don't think so. Just look for your reaction to it. Because there are some things, I mean, I have been on some boards on some very, for some very important things in the world and just been like, oh, I don't want to go to this meeting. Oh, you know, this is so, this is such important work, but it's not interesting to me. And that's okay. Everything's not interesting to everybody. So I don't think you need to force a situation that doesn't jazz you. It's kind of like when you're looking, you know, to make friends or you're looking to date somebody. If you're open to it and you're saying yes to things and you're exploring around, there'll be some hits and misses, you know. But if you're open to it and you say yes to things, I think that you'll find it. And 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 I would also like look around your normal world. Like if you you know, would rather cuddle with your dog than go out to dinner with your significant other. I'm not judging you. I get it. That might be speaking specifically to me right now. I mean, I might be and also talking to myself, but like that might be like ding, ding, ding. Maybe animals are the thing. Or if, you know, if you like a certain region of the world, if you you think about what kind of jazz is you already, maybe start out in that direction. But Again, church is an easy way to do it, but there are other ways to do it that don't involve church. If you're open to it, I think being open to it is key. Yeah. And then this seems idealistic, but let's go there for a minute. How would our world look different if everyone would find just one thing that lights him up and find one way to give back? Oh, I just think it would be amazing. I mean, how could it not be different? There's so many people in the world that just have their job and their family and then and their friends and then and they watch Netflix at night. And I do those things too. And I also think there are people who like are at the grocery store and every Thanksgiving round up to the nearest dollar for the food pantry and right. check the box and go for that. Please do that. That's important. If everybody in the world did something with the passion that helps them do good in the world, one there's just no way the world's not benefiting from all those good deeds and all that good energy. But also it's just such a, for yourself, there's very few things like giving back, giving when I, when I go to Congo, when I, when I'm doing my things for the schools, I get so many things from the people there. Thank you for doing this. Thank you for doing this. It's like, but you have no idea how, how much you're changing me, how much you're teaching me. I just learned so many things. And to have that energy from something you're doing just makes you different. So you're different. The people you're helping are different. There's just no bad scenario to all that happening. So I I just really wish people would find the one thing, if everybody would find the one thing that they, you know, you don't have to go to Congo. (laughs) I'm an extreme example. You You don't go to the animal shelter. Yes. You can go to the animal shelter. And if you do it, regularly, like working out. Like if you do it regularly, that's where the difference is made. You're changed, they're changed, relationships are made, and that is where the magic happens. Love it. Dawn, thank you so much for joining me today. I am so thrilled to be able to have you as our very first happy activist and and couldn't think of a better person for it. So thank you for the good that you're putting out into the world. And thank you for coming on and telling us about it. Thank you. That was Dawn McMullen talking about her work with Congo Restoration has helped make her own life better. If you'd like to learn more about Dawn and the Congo Restoration Project, just visit us at livehappy.com and click on the podcast tab. 
And if you have a happy activist in your life that you'd like to see featured in a future episode, please email us at editor at livehappy.com and tell us all about them. That's editor at livehappy.com. That is all we have time for today. We'll meet you back here again next week for an all new episode. And until then, this is Paula Phelps reminding you to make every day a happy one.